went out about singing. But again, I mentioned earlier, singing isn't just, uh, you know, worship isn't just singing, it's praise. It's, it's how we act. It's what we do as service as unto the Lord. So, you know, one of the things, too, a lot of times what happens, uh, you know, when the world tries to tell us something, we get angry. And, uh, you know, the Bible says that the, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So I don't want to react. I want to uh, re, uh, just uh, do as what pleases the Lord, not what uh, doesn't displease me. So a lot of times we're put to the test when it comes to our faith. And the world could do two things to us. It could make us, number one, be bitter, or we could get better through it. And I really think that when the world world wants to oppress, hey, man, I'm going to get my knees more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to seek the Lord more. It it only motivates me. But if you have your Bible, please turn uh, with me to Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11. uh, And hopefully we welcome you uh, who are live uh, we, we're welcoming you here into our church, Calvary Chapel Cornerstone, here in Covina. And I want to encourage you also, if you're not on our mailing list or email list, I want to encourage you to do so. That way you get updates of what's going on. You also have access to prayer. If you have prayer requests, we want to encourage you to get jump on the prayer requests, as I will mention at the end of the study. But Proverbs chapter 11, Proverbs chapter 11 We're going to cover verses 1 through 12 uh, this morning. 1 through 12. It says, Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. So here in the text, God addresses deceit. God addresses deceit. The Bible uses the word deceit here. And it's also a word that portrays treachery or betrayal betrayal of trust betrayal of trust god hates a betrayal of trust we hear hear it here in the scripture pastor chuck uh, told a story about a baker who sued a farmer and this happened a long time ago when they use uh, balance scales to do uh, any kind of trading but a baker sued a farmer for a pound of butter he was buying it from the, the farmer, and the baker said that when he first bar, started buying from this farmer, he would receive a full amount, a full pound of butter. But eventually, over time, it became less and less and less. It came down from a full pound of butter to three quarters of butter. And so this baker takes his farmer to court and he begins to sue him and while they're in the court the farmer in his own defense told the judge sir i only have a balanced scale to measure the butter that i'm giving to the baker and so what the the farmer said is i get the bread that the baker gives me he gives me a pound of bread and i put it on the scale and then i put the butter on the scale and i give him what he's giving me so basically He was using a wrong balance. So here he was ripping them off. He had a different balance of scale. So today we are witnessing a dishonest balance of scales in many 
areas. We see a dishonest balance of scales when it comes to injustice. You could be in the army and you could do something that violates the law and you could go to jail. But you could be a politician and commit the same crime and nothing happened to you. There is a problem in our country in the law and justice system. The laws aren't balanced. You could get away with a crime if you're a politician. And God will hold them accountable. It's a dishonest scale. I could perjure my, I could be, I could, I could lie and perjure and I could go to jail. But if I am a public official, I could lie and nothing will happen to me. That's an injustice. That's an unbalance of scales. God doesn't like it. Another dishonest scale that we see today is a dishonest scale when it comes to information, the news. The news is always uh, spouting out bad information, dishonest scales. They'll hold one party a certain way or one individual a certain way, and they'll crucify somebody else. It's an injustice, a dishonest scale of news source. Also, we have a dishonest scale of the information that's spread through politicians. You know, just recently I read what the governor put on the website and all the governor what all the governor had said and then i saw a politician get up before the news and say something that was totally off base it wasn't even in there how do i know i read it it's important for us to get all the information we have uh, uh, when it comes to politicians we have what is uh, a dishonest scales of what's coming out of their mouth okay so God will hold them accountable. He will hold the justice system accountable. He will hold the news sources accountable. He will hold the politicians accountable. And all these, it says dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord. They're an abomination to the Lord. And the word abomination simply means it's disgusting. Unbalanced scales in any area is disgusting to God. And God will deal with it. It's, if it isn't bad enough that the, the injustice in our justice system is bad, the news is bad, our politicians are bad, they're spouting lies. If it isn't bad enough that we are also regurgitating it on social media, spreading lies, untruths. You know, it is a double standard. Dishonesty, uh, uh, having unfair weights is a double standard and God hates it. It's an abomination to him. You see, God is just, God is fair, and he expects us as his people to be fair and do likewise. Leviticus chapter uh, 19 verse 36 talks about when God set up a standard of justice, it's equal justice. And he expects us, his people, to be just. Why? Because we are his children and we are to be likewise. We see this also in Psalms, uh, actually Proverbs chapter 20, verse 10. It talks about diverse weights and diverse measures. They're both an abomination to the Lord. So misinformation, injustice, you know, the politician saying one thing and doing another thing. That, those are dishonest scales and God will deal with them. God will deal with them. So we as God's people, even though the world is doing wrong and, and 
and erring, we always need to do what is right. We need to do what is right. We need to, when we do what is right, we are a delight to the Lord. But to do anything that's contrary to the Lord and balance of scales is an abomination. And you see, God will calibrate. He will regulate all immoral wrongs on the day of judgment. So politicians who think they're getting away with their, uh, their wrong information, the news sources, the justice system, every moral wrong that we see, God will take care of. Every injustice that we see, God will hold our president accountable on the day of judgment. If you don't like him, don't worry about him. God will hold him accountable. God will hold Nancy Pelosi accountable for her actions. God will hold Gavin Newsom accountable on the day of judgment. God will hold me accountable on the day of judgment. And God will hold you accountable on the day of judgment. So I really don't have to worry about uh, who's being just and unjust. I really have to worry about myself. I really need to pray for those in those systems because too much is given, much more is required. God will deal with each one according to what their position is in life. He will hold us accountable. We can't have, two, we can't have double standards. What we say for one, we have to use for another. And Jesus says the standard you use, it's also going to be used back to you. God will hold people accountable on the day of judgment. How do we know this? Because the Bible says that he is the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. God will, settle, God will settle accounts of wrongdoing at what is called the white throne judgment. God will hold everyone accountable. He will hold accountable every dishonest judge. He will account, hold accountable the news and all their information and what they're saying. Every lie is an abomination to God. We see this in, in Revelation uh, 20, verse 8. God will all throw all liars into the lake of fire. God will deal with injustice. God will deal with unjust and dishonest politicians. And God will de- deal with each one of us according to our moral short- unmoral shortcomings. Be assured of it. There is a day of accountability coming and God hates dishonest scales. So therefore, God will deal with them. And we see it in Matthew 25, verse 26 and 30, that with the wicked, because God calls it wickedness, and God will throw the wicked into an everlasting darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we think that, or to say that people will get away with injustice it isn't true. Here in the Bible, it says God will cast them into outer darkness and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we too will succumb to that if we do not repent. If we do not repent. Verse 2 here says in Proverbs chapter 11, it says, When pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. So when pride comes, it brings a, with it a bag of luggage or baggage. And here it's shame. It's shame. But it's not the, 
when we're talking of pride, when the Bible's talking of pride, it's not, it's not speaking of the pride where I say to my son, I'm proud of you, son. Or I say to my daughter, I'm pride of, proud of you, Miha. It's, speak, it's not speaking of the pride of maybe your, your coworker has accomplished something great or somebody in you, that you know has accomplished something great. And you say, I'm proud of you. That's not the word here that the, bribe, the Bible is using when it comes to pride. When the Bible speaks of pride, it's speaking of it, of it in a negative sense. It's speaking of a haughtiness of heart, a conceit, a smugness, an arrogance that comes with an attitude of, of superiority or I, sh- I would have done it better attitude or I could do it better attitude. That's pride. God hates it. It's a idea or an attitude of superiority or self-importance. It's also associated with the word insolent, meaning rude in behavior or speech. Rude in behavior or speech. Yes, pride, like I said, comes with baggage. But you see, pride brings the baggage that really stinks to God. It's really garbage to God. God doesn't like pride. And God resists pride. And so we, as God's people, we need to check our hearts. James chapter 4 and verse 6 says that God, he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He says he resists pride, but he gives grace to the humble. Also in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, it says in the area of humility, it says you likewise, you younger people, submit to your elders... And yes, you, speaking of the church, be submissive to one another. Be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud. If we want to be proud, he's going to resist us. There's going to be some friction between me and God. Why? Because of my pride heart. And my pride is demonstrated this way. But God sees it this way. And how I deal on this scale will affect this way. Because God will resist me if I'm proud, but he will give grace to me when I'm humble. It says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. So humility brings exaltation in due time. God will lift you up. Why? Because he will work in your life. So we see here humility will draw from it an immeasurable source of wisdom. When I'm humble, God will let me drink from his hand and the great riches of his wisdom. But you see, as Christians, we really need to check our hearts. And better than that, we need to let God check our hearts because God is better at it. You see, God can spot our pride in us. You know, I I think of things that we really don't notice. Sometimes our senses can be dulled. You know, I have you ever felt you know been uncomfortable on a bad day on 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 a on a really hot day and and kind of just feel something just doesn't smell right, and then you go like this, and and you'll say, well, I don't know. You'll have this idea in your mind that something really don't smell right 
And then you'll go to one of a friend or a loved one, someone really close to you who loves you. And you'll say, hey, does this thing, does this smell right to you? And they'll smell you and they'll say, yeah, hey, that smells bad. Take that off. Why? Because our, sometimes our senses can be dull. And our senses can be dull in the area of pride. Our senses can be dull in the area of pride. And David knew this. The psalmist David said this. He knew this. And that's why he pleaded with God in Psalms chapter 139, verse 23 through 24. He said, search me and know my heart and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. You see, check my heart, God. I need to check my heart, but sometimes I need a deeper checking. God, check my heart. Why? Because you see things better. I think of that Febreze commercial where, where they have this car that looks like a dog, right? You know, because everyone could smell the dog except the owner, right? So they, they sell Febreze. Why? Because we get dull in our senses. You know, even pigs don't have a problem in their stink. They don't have a problem with their stink. And sometimes those areas in our life that stink, we can be so comfortable in them. And we need God to reveal things into us reveal things reveal our true intentions in our real heart because here in verse three it says the integrity of the upright will guide them but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them so the integrity of the upright will guide them and the here it's speaking of godly character will guide them but it's not the the godly character of the believer that is a guiding factor. It is simply the believer applying God's guidance to their life. And that produces integrity. When I'm in the word and I'm acting according to God's word, that's where the integrity comes. Therefore, I have become blameless. I become innocent. And that word integrity is associated with the word innocence. It is the outcome of adhering to biblical principles. As I apply God's word to my life, there is no guilt because I haven't deviated from a biblical standard. So when I'm in the word or I should know better and I deviate from God's word, any deviation from scriptures, any deviation from scripture is, is an abomination. It is perversity. It's perverse to do something that is contrary to Scripture. And we all fall short of of having pure integrity. All of us. We all fall short of having pure integrity and pure innocence. And that's why on the day of judgment, we're in trouble. On the day of judgment. If by our own moral goodness and our own standard, our own integrity... We try to enter heaven, we surely cannot go because we fall short of moral purity and holiness. But insert Jesus. If I'm in Jesus, then I am morally pure, innocent of all sin. But perversity is everything to deviate from what is right and God's path. So if I deviate from God's path, God calls me perverse. 
So that's why it's important for us to, as Christians to be in the Word. If I'm living a life that is contrary to a biblical standards, God sees me as perverse. And the things that I am doing, He is calling them perverse. And both, whether it following God's Word or being perverse, will come to different conclusions at the end. At the end. We might not see what's going to happen, or we don't see the effects immediately, but we will see them at the end. For verse 4 here says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. You see, we could have a life of joy and pleasure and doing my own thing, not God's way, and I could enjoy these things, but in the end, it isn't going to profit on the day of wrath. I'm going to be held accountable. And Jesus spoke harsh words, harsh words, but Jesus spoke these harsh words out of a motive of love. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath. It's true. You can live your life the way you want to and go your own way instead of God's way, but God will still hold you accountable at the end. Whatever your pleasure is, isn't going to profit you on the day of wrath. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 28, For what is the profit of a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? And what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Every time we deviate from God's word and do a pursuit or have our way that way, you know what? We're exchanging what God has intended for us on on his path. We're following the broad road that leads to destruction. And it says, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What will cause us to deviate from God's way and cause us to go a perverse way? Well, we all have this thing and it's called sin. But righteousness here, it says, delivers from death. Not our own righteousness. Here it's speaking of the righteousness of Christ. The Messiah will save us from death. Jeremiah 23, 6 Speaking of the Lord, of the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah, it says his name will be called our righteousness. Jesus, our righteousness. We also see this in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 25. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1, Peter also said that our faith, when we're in Christ Jesus, our faith comes to us by the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. We're imputed righteousness. We're seen as righteous as we die. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says that it is appointed for man to die once, then the judgment. We're all going to stand before God on the day of judgment. But when I'm in Christ, when I'm walking in his ways, I repented of my sin. I put my faith and trust in him. I stand before God, not in my own righteousness, but on Christ's righteousness. And I'm delivered from death. He paid the price on the cross. So you see money and pleasure or no other pleasurable thing will value you when you step into eternity. You're not going to enjoy it. Enjoy it while it lasts, but it ain't going to last. You're going to have to pay the price for it. Money, your pleasure, or any deviation from what God wants for you. And we always have to know God is not having rules and regulations to keep you from having joy. If we would follow his ways and trust him, the joy that he gives you will be more than enough. 
if I, if I trust Him. But we tend to think we know better. For the Christian, for only in Christ and His imputed righteousness can a believer or any person be delivered from death. That's the only thing that's going to keep us from death and judgment. Because God's going to hold everyone accountable on the day of wrath. You see, our faith is in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But we as Christians, we are still called to live blameless and separated lives from habitual sin. Don't give excuses for your sin. Oh, I'm just this way. I just have this problem. No, you have a problem. God is showing you have a problem so you can repent of it. Turn to him and ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to transform your life, to overcome it. You see, God... We shouldn't be comfortable in our sins. God has called us to be blameless and separated from habitual sin. And we, the believer can only be delivered as he's daily dying to himself and depending upon the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. And that we need to pray as God's people to have an appetite for God's word. We see this, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that pro proceeds from the mouth of God. I need to be in the word. I need to be in prayer. And I need to be in communion with God. For the practice of wickedness produces only momentarily, you know, momentarily, momentary happiness. It is not going to fulfill you. You're, you're buying a lie. You're buying into a lie. Wickedness always leads to, for you to be trapped in your own lust. It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. You know, a lot of times we're in our sin and we think, oh, we got this. I'm not hurting anybody. It, it's going to get you. It's just a matter of time. You're going to be in bondage to it. I know I was in bondage to sin. But the Christian needs to continually be in the word. In Psalms chapter 119, 133, uh, the psalmist said, deliver me according to your word. Deliver me. Why? Because sin wants to keep me in bondage. And there's many people in bondage today, but they really don't see that they're in bondage. But God's word will deliver us from that bondage because we see in the scriptures that Sin always leads to being trapped by your own lust. But here in verse 5 through 6, it says, the, righteous, the righteousness of the blameless will direct his way aright. But the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. Wickedness will fall by his own wickedness. We see here in the scripture, righteousness of the upright will deliver them. But I insert the word Jesus for righteousness. Jesus will deliver. Jesus, the upright, the righteous, will deliver them. Jesus will deliver us. He will direct our ways. But on the contrast, verse 5 says, the wicked will be your downfall. Wickedness will be your downfall. So I, if I continue to pursue wickedness, it will eventually lead to my downfall. It'll catch me in my own net. It says, caught by their own lust. It'll, it'll trap me. And on the day of judgment, I'm in trouble. But verse 7 says, 
when the wicked man dies, his expectation will perish. So you could pursue your, all your, your, your things that think can make you happy aside from God. But it says when a wicked man dies, his expectation will perish and the hope of the unjust perishes. At the time of Christ, a, a tower fell. And people were saying, what did, Lord, did those people die because they were more wicked than the other people? And Jesus told the people, unless you too repent, you will die likewise. In other words, you're all guilty. We're all guilty of sin. We're all going to die. Why? Because we're sinners. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And death by sin, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen to 10% of 100% of us will die. And 100% will face judgment. But Jesus said in Luke 13, 3, I tell you, but no, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Wow. And in verse 8 here, it says, The righteous is delivered from trouble, and it comes to the wicked instead. The righteous is delivered from trouble. And I like Proverbs chapter 12, verse 20, 21. It says of this trouble, it says, no grave trouble will overtake the righteous. I love it. I love scripture because it interprets scripture. No great, the righteous will be delivered. Why? By Christ's righteousness and no grave trouble will overtake the righteous in Christ. So if I'm in Christ, am I walking with Christ? I'm abiding in Christ. I have no trouble when it comes to the matters of the grave. But the wicked, it says, will be filled with evil. See, Christ paid in full for the price of the believer's sin to deliver us from wickedness. But the unrepentant, if I continue in my sin without repenting, those who will go on continually, habitually sinning without coming to a place of repentance and faith in the Lord will, rep- will pay their, for their sins in full. Will pay for their sins in full. Be assured of it. Jesus said it. Every error, every moral shortcoming that we do will be held accountable on the day of judgment. There is no hope in the grave. We won't be rescued. Unless we're in Christ. But verse 9 here says, The hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor. But through knowledge, the righteous will be delivered. Hypocrites. You know, a lot of people say, I don't want to go to church because it's full of hypocrites. And the reason why is there's a misconception about Christians. There's a misconception that we're perfect and we're not. There's a misconception that we walk on water, but we don't. We fall short. And when we fall short, we should admit it. We should admit it. And we should rightly explain to the world when it sees us as hypocritical. Lord, Forgive me, I shouldn't be living that way. That's why we as Christians should have a sensitivity to the the Holy Spirit to convict us of hypocrisy. Because here it says the hypocrite 
with his mouth destroys his neighbor. Well, how can a hypocrite destroy his neighbor? First, he sees your testimony. He hears what you're saying. He sees what you're doing. I have to ask myself, and we have to ask ourselves as Christians, are we being hypocritical? Are we being a poor witness that says we're Christians but don't act like it? Again, I have to ask that of myself. I have to take an inner look. I have to ask the Lord, does my witness testimony give the fact, the odor that I am in Christ? Or am I a hypocrite? You see, hypocrisy, just like wickedness that we previously talked to, is a destroyer of you personally. Being a hypocrite will destroy you. You're not going to get away with it. But it also isn't just self-destruction. It will destruct those in your family and in your community. Why? Because they will see you as a hypocrite. Verse 10 says, When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there is jubilation. And by the blessing of the the upright, the city is exalted but it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. He who is devoid of wisdom despises his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his peace. So one who lacks wisdom despises or disrespects his neighbor. And actually, our neighbors are very important to our witness. Our neighbors are very important to our witness. And and they see us as either Christ-like or hypocrites. And it's important that we um, show Christ-likeness. You see, your neighbor is actually your responsibility, according to God. Your neighbor is your responsibility. We have to be careful that we're not talking bad about our neighbors. God will hold us accountable for talking about our neighbors or slandering our neighbors. Listen to Psalms 101, verse 5. It says, whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. How are we talking about our neighbors? Do we treat them right? Here in the text, it says that God will hold us responsible for our neighbors. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 29 says, Do not be deceived. Do not, do not devise evil against your neighbor, for he dwells by you for safety's sake. You're important to your neighbor, Christian. You're very important to your neighbor. Your witness is important to your neighbor. And in closing... Your neighbor should be more secure because you live next door to them. Your neighbor should be more secure because you are by them so that you can help them in their time of need. You should be there for them. Our neighbor should be secure because we should watch out for them. You know, many of us don't know our neighbors. We go in, we come out, we 
don't like because the fence or the parties, the loud parties or something, the way they park their cars. It could be a number of things. Their trees hang over. They're picking my fruit. You know, a, a lot of different things. We, you know, and, and they're petty. But our neighbors are important in, in scriptures, you know, and our witness is important to our neighbors. We should be helpful to our neighbors. They should be secu- they should live securely because we should watch out for our neighbors. Are they elderly? If they're elderly, maybe, you know, we, we see they, they need help. They're going through things. Maybe somebody in their family is sick. And, and God has put you there to pray for them. You know, we need to know what's going on in each other's lives. Many of the times we don't know what's going on. I have a sister, her, her husband has COVID right now. And they're in quarantine. And, and you know, a lot of people, you know, I, I want my family to be praying for them. My church family to be praying for them. It's important. We're important. Your neighbors are important. Do we know what our neighbors are going through? Our neighbors should be secure living next to us because we as Christians should be trustworthy. We should be watchful for them. You know, even through the Old Testament, it says if, if, if somebody's ox strayed, I'm, for my neighbor, I'm supposed to go get that ox and bring it back to my neighbor and make sure it's secure. In our time, in our modern uh, vocabulism, is if the neighbor's dog gets out, I'm supposed to get the neighbor's dog and bring it back and make sure it's safe. I don't just say, oh, well, it's the neighbor's. I'm supposed to watch out for the neighbor. We should be trustworthy. They live by us for security. They should know that we care for them. Our neighbors should know that we care for them. You know, I try to make it a point to go out and work on the front yard or be out there in the front yard and, and to say hello to my neighbors. How are you doing? You know, one of the things I, I've learned from, from dealing with foreigners sometimes is I would, I would uh, when I worked at Costco, I was always meeting new people. And I would, I would start talking with them and they, they would come up to me and they say, Tony, how are you doing? And they say, how's your family? And you know what? They've never met my family, but they really meant it when they said, how's your family? They wouldn't just say hi and bye. They say, Tony, how's your family? You know, we need to do that with our neighbors. How are you doing? Are you okay? How's your family doing? Is there anyone sick? You see, they should know you care. They should be part of your prayer ministry. You know, we have a prayer ministry here. We send out prayer requests every night. You know, put them on. Find out what's going on. Do they need prayer? Pray for their salvation, but also pray for their loved ones. Maybe they're sick. Maybe they're going through certain things. You know, pray that God would give you discernment and wisdom to, to know that they dwell by me for safety's sake, as the scriptures say, and that I would care for them. That I would have a loving concern for their souls, but also minister to them. 
They should be part of our compassion ministry. I should have compassion on my neighbors. They should be part of the helps ministry here. If they need something, I need to, I need to step up and help my neighbor. How will I know that they're suffering if, if, or if they have a need if, if I don't know them? You know, here the Christian dwells from an immeasurable source of wisdom and knowledge and grace and counsel. And God wants me to give that to my neighbors. You know, I was, I was blessed. One of my neighbors came over yesterday I, or the other day and, and, you know, he saw the little church on our church online thing and, 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 he, and he was blessed and he, he wanted to give his tithes to the church. You know, uh, but do we care about them? We need to care for our neighbors. We need to, we need to watch out for their souls. We can't be hypocrites any longer why because it destroys our neighbor they'll say why do i want to be like them they're just like everyone else and sometimes worse they're always complaining but let's be neighbors who help who pray who care who watch out who are trustworthy who are concerned enough to ask our neighbors do you need prayer are you sick do you need help and that our, our words and our actions would display the love of Christ that we've gained from God's wisdom. Let's have a ministry of a missions field. I don't have to go around the world to be in missions. The mission field is right next door. But God has called me first to be a good witness. To honor Him and glorify Him. And it comes with first with being honest. Because God will right all injustice, all immoral shortcomings. God will deal with those dishonest scales of injustice, judges, news source, politicians, their abomination, and even in my own heart. I can't have a double standard of loving God and not loving people. There's a day of accountability. I can't be pride. I got to take an inner look as a Christian and see, Lord, is there anything that's hindering the work of your spirit in my life? Is there garbage in my life that needs to be taken out supernaturally? Am I experiencing the grace of God and the outpouring of God's Spirit and Him speaking to me? Or is there pride in me that is resisting or sin in me that is, is hindering me from experiencing the work of God? I really need to take an inward look and I need to ask God to take a deeper look in me and be sensitive to the moving of His Holy Spirit. I need as Christians, we need to walk in integrity and be guided by the scriptures. I have to have an eternal mindset that there is a day of judgment for me and for those who are outside. I got to be reminded 
not to deviate because sin will always cause me to deviate. It wants me to deviate from the path of righteousness. Let God direct you. Be in the word every day. Let him deliver you from the power of sin because what, what's going to happen is if we dabble with sin, eventually we're dabbling it too much. It's going to catch us. It's going to catch up to us. So I want to encourage you, church, be a good neighbor. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and then love others. And let God do a supernatural work. Wherever there's a lack in my life, I need to pray that God would do a work of His Spirit, that I would be like Jesus to those around me. My neighbor could be my, those at work. My neighbor could be those who live next door to me or those in my community or those on my social media circles as well. I need to be a good neighbor. They need to know I care, that I would become like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you for this word. But Father, we pray, Lord, that we wouldn't just be hearers, but we would be doers, Lord. We pray for a supernatural work of your spirit in each one of our hearts. Father, we pray for uh, the word, Father, that it would saturate us, our hearts, that we would live by it, and that you, through the work of your spirit, would transform us for the renewing of our minds, our hearts, Lord. Help us to trust you in the areas of injustice and uh, dishonesty. Father, we know you're going to deal with those things. Help us not to be moved by what's going on in this world. But help us to all the more be transformed by the renewing in our mind in such a dark time as this. Father, we pray, Lord, that the the light of Christ in these dark times would even shine brighter by our words and our actions. May we have the mind and we do the works of Christ. And we pray this by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible, can you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to partake of communion. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I love 1 Corinthians uh, and 2 Corinthians. I like, I like the, the, the word. Uh, the 1 Corinthians was written, uh, and there was a lot of problems in the Corinthian church. And there's a lot of problems in Christians so Corinthians is a book that was written to get us back on track. And when it came to communion, uh, the Corinthian church was all messed up. And Paul was writing this. He's quoting the gospel of Luke, the historian Luke. He was quoting Luke here and getting the church back on track when it came to uh, communion. Because communion can mean a lot of different things to a lot of people, but what is the biblical standard? It's we're reminding us of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We're proclaiming his death till he comes. Here it says in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, That the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
Let's get our bread and pray. Father, we thank you for this bread that reminds us of the body that was broken for us, that was shred for us. Father, the the whippings, the beating, the, the crown of thorns, the the spear, the thirty-nine lashes to your back, the hitting with the rod, and all those things, it was broken for us. Father, help us not to re- forget that our sins were placed on Christ's body on the cross. Help us to do this always remembering you. Let's partake of the bread. And Jesus said, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes because he's coming back. And so Jesus said to do this until he comes back. And actually, when he comes back, there's going to be a wedding feast and we're going to partake with him in heaven. How beautiful that is. But he says to do it until he comes back. Father, we love you. We thank you for the precious blood of Jesus that was shed for our sins, that was placed on the mercy seat of heaven so that one day we could, by the precious blood of Jesus, can enter in by Christ's righteousness and the blood of Jesus. Father, I thank you for your blood. And Father, we pray, Lord, that we would remember that your blood was shed for our sins and that you're coming back. May we proclaim this truth until you come. May we be faithful till you come. And we pray in Jesus' name. Let's partake. And Father, we thank you for the sweetness of your blood, Lord, and and the sacrifice. We thank you for uh, giving us grace to live in such a time as this, Lord. We pray, Father, for your word. It would come alive, that it would speak to us, that you would give us a